Hi, McKay. Hi, Kyle. How was that? That was good. That was fun. Beatboxing to kick us off. We are recording on the couch today. You know, just chillax. And do people still say that? I don't. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't either. <laughs> I just got too much drip. Yeah, I don't know about that either. I'm pulling up my notes. We were worried about switching over between our recording device over to our notes, but I think we've got it pretty worked out right now. Are you ready to go for today? Yeah, Kyle, I would love to know. Um, our notes? What are our notes? Our. O-U-R. Our. I'm teasing you because they're your notes. You're a little guiding. I love it. Oh, I see. The joke was that I made them and they're not technically ours. I thought you were making fun of my pronunciation of our, our, our. I don't know how to pronounce it, so no, I would never make fun of that. (laughs) We want to welcome you back to Great Perhaps. What are you reading? What are you watching? Which also was a topic of conversation today. Still trying to sell it. He's still trying to sell it as a better title. It's a great subtitle. Do we feel good about it as a subtitle? Completely informative. Yeah, it's a great subtitle. Well, as a subtitle, I think it works well. I also think there's space for long titles in the world. Hence, our episode for today. What is the title of our episode today? Alan Cole is not a coward, colon, middle grades, and YA. Maybe add fiction at the end. Though that would maybe push us past the word count. Or the syllable count. Sure. Because that's really what people are concerned with. About the number of syllables in our titles. Indeed, we are going to jump into this conversation about middle grades versus young adult fiction. And I'm already feeling a little apprehension about verses as if that they're competing with each other. I too felt it. Um, Maybe middle grades and YA comparing them? Like a Venn diagram rather than a a box of match. And our way into that conversation is this book, Alan Cole is Not a Coward by Eric Bell. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this book and maybe... A little bit about where this question came from and why it's a significant or interesting question. I will, but then I get to ask a question. Alan Cole is Not a Coward is one of my most favorite books I've ever read, period. Holy smokes, I wasn't ready for that. I think it is astounding. So before I get into what it is, what it's about, why I love it, where the question comes from is I had never read middle grades really since I was in middle school um, until becoming a middle school teacher. I have always read YA fiction and kept up with that pretty regularly, but middle grades was not something I really knew about as a distinction within the bookselling world until I became a middle school teacher. So then I became obsessed with reading middle grades book and books and I've tried to consume a lot of them. So I think that's where the question comes from because I feel like I'm a pretty regular reader, Um, and middle grades is not something I had ever really heard discussed. So as I was diving into it to come across this book that 
is beautiful and powerful and easily the book one of the top five books I've thought the most about in the past two years and have read multiple times in the past two years my turn for a question what did you read about Alan Cole is not a coward in your brief perusing of the interwebs I have not read Alan Cole and I only recall you talking about it when you were reading it and remarking on how much you were loving it. And I feel that it came up in conversation more than once thereafter. And so I think that's my introduction to it. What I learned about it is that Alan Cole is a young boy. I want to say 11, 12. 7th grade, so 12, 13. And... He has an abusive father, an abusive brother. Yeah. I don't know if I should be the one introducing the book, considering I haven't read it, and I just, like, tried to, like, educate myself in, like, five minutes. It's fun. It's play. I love it. Okay. I'll keep going. Uh, So Alan Cole, abusive father, abusive brother, seventh grade. Alan Cole is in love with a boy in his grade or they're in his middle school. I don't know if they're in the same grade. And because he is abused by what I assume are like pretty traditionally masculine father and brother, um, arrives in this place where he is outside the mainframe. He is outside this channel in which he is supposed to be in, and he can notice that about himself. And notice that about the world in which he is in. I don't know the extent to which he notices that. And uh, what he does with that other information. Other than I guess I also gleaned that a competition emerges. And it is Alan Cole versus his brother. Cole v. Cole. It's a family battle. And I think it's like athletic and maybe intelligence. I'm not sure actually. Um But nonetheless, this is the way in which Alan Cole is going to prove to his bully brother and bully father that he is not a coward. Which I must admit, raised some red flags for me right away. And so I'm curious what it is then that I miss in just reading that description. What red flags were raised for you? Competition as a way for Alan Cole to prove to his macho father and macho brother that he's not a coward I assume I guess I based off you saying it, it's such a special book to you I would imagine that I got red flags says that that's going to be kind of a surprise that maybe there's not red flags for those things and maybe it's handled in a different fashion than I was expecting yeah it's interesting that in your just skimming of plot summaries and reviews that abuse was the big thing that came out I've given this book to many students and young people I know that I'm just friends with so for instance our nephew I had him read this I'm tutoring um, students and I had one of them read it last summer abuse is not what stands out it is a story about abuse but not in the like sentimental I mean not that abuse is ever sentimental but you know literature can sometimes use abuse as a trope to lean on and it's not that kids don't read the book and think it's about abuse your summary was pretty good it's about alan cole seventh grader he has a bully older brother an abusive dad 
and his brother forces him into competitions. In the book's arc follows the latest competition, so he's finally at there at a middle school, like a traditional, I guess, junior high, so it's 7th, 8th, and ninth. So Nathan, his older brother, is in ninth grade, and he's in 7th grade, so they're in school together, and Nathan discovers he has a crush on a boy and uses it as leverage to force Alan into another Colby Cole competition. It's not purely athletic, it's not purely intellectual, and it's about Alan facing down his brother and using the the competition to subvert competition um, and to prove to everyone, that, including probably most importantly himself, that he's not a coward. Because the book opens with Alan is a seventh grader. He has he, he doesn't allow himself to have friends because his brother is such a bully that any friends he has, he uses against him. But he hangs out with two guys who are some of my favorite characters, Madison and Zach. They call their table at the lunchroom the unstable table because literally they have to put a piece of like cardboard under it. But because they're all weird in their own ways, Madison's bullied for being fat and is really intellectual. Zach is just your classic middle school weirdo. The best cartoon version of it. And Alan Cole sits with them just because he does and he has classes with them. But it's about them becoming friends and um, Alan is an aspiring artist. So in the most endearing way, has this plan to create the most life-changing, world-altering piece of art that he calls his crepage. It's a made-up word because he thinks it sounds more interesting than project. Yeah, thoughts to that plot summary before I keep going. I think I was most intrigued by subverting competition. So I wondered if you could say a little bit more about what that means. Mm. so it's a list of tasks is the the premise of the competition and normally they have different lists and nathan kind of cheats the system and does stuff like alan's got to moon the whole bus or sing for three minutes in the lunchroom and i think this is like the first competition they have that they have the same list the task i remember you have to give away your like most beloved object you have to kiss somebody you have to stand up they have to one you have to stand up to their dad um, and they have to learn to swim. So neither of them know how to swim. Maybe that's where you got the athleticism. And they have the same tasks put before them. But b- before them, why I think it's a subversion of competition is because Nathan quickly can't do it because he tries to do it alone and tries to do like the traditional masculine, like cheat the system, achieve it as quickly. And Alan learns that like as he lets in Madison and Zach and this whole cast of characters, he can do these things by undoing the competitive part. Where Nathan looks to cheat, Alan like undoes the rules of the game. So for instance, how Alan gives away his lucky pair of underwear to Zach. Um, and, and, and it's this whole goofy plot, but Right, it's, it's not what Nathan had had in mind of what Alan would do. But Alan still technically achieves the task, but does it in a way that's not the traditional rules of the competition. Is it possible to ask how Nathan responds without giving away an ending? Yeah, so this is where, and there's a sequel, Alan Cole does not dance. The representation and characterization of Nathan of all the characters, but in the specific instant, Nathan is beautiful and just 
this is where going back to earlier conversations, I like can't, I, I, I don't know how you can't argue that this is literature. Nathan doesn't do well. He's really complicated and messy and he does not have like this perfect redemption and he does not come out a good, clean guy. It's really messy and hard to be in an abusive family and to be the son of an abusive dad who's carrying forth abuse. And so the competition challenges Nathan with that. Um, and it's really beautiful to watch. I don't want to cut off any conversation about the actual book itself, but those descriptions that you just put forward pressed me into our question of YA alongside middle grades. Insofar as you mention the the beauty of untied up endings, the complex relationships that are in the forefront of the book that kind of drive it forward. And those seem to me like kind of, I, I need to work on my language here, I think, but kind of grown up uh, concepts or grown up things to take on in a book. And I'm wondering if it would be beneficial or interesting to talk about what it is then that makes this a middle grade book as opposed to young adult. And so maybe we could talk about just like boring logistics and specifics of what that means, but then maybe have that kind of translate into um, my question, like because those things sound like more young adult um, things to take on. They are. I think the thing that is true for middle grades and YA is even if it's messy and untidy, there's still a sense of victory to use the words of a competition at the end. There's still a sense of victory for Alan Cole at the end. I can't remember the exact words, but it's one of my favorite things I've ever read is Zach early on in the book gives Alan Cole the advice that I'd rather be a hard time being myself than an easy time being anyone else or something to that effect. So there's a victory in that that Alan Cole realizes he's not a coward. I don't feel like that's much of a spoiler. It's a middle grades book. Um, to get into the nitty gritty of middle grades and why the biggest distinction is age, um, age of the characters. So to my understanding, middle grades is like eight to 12, which is always younger than I realize. Um, and then YA is 12 to 18. And then it has to do with content. So middle grades is going to have first crushes, first kisses, but absolutely nothing else. YA is going to have a lot of romantic themes, maybe even questions of sex and virginity. It's not going to be erotic. It's not going to be super descriptive. Similar with violence, with um, cussing, with all of those, YA is pretty much wide open, right? You can have gun violence. You can have the F-bomb, you can have all these other things. Middle grades, you have none of it. It's pretty spick and span. Is that a thing people still say? Clean and shiny feels clean and shiny feels more appropriate than, I'm not going to, yeah. And so in that way, what does that mean for how a book deals with these more complicated concepts or these more complicated themes of complex father-son relationships or something like that? One thing I've read before and I can see is that middle grades is more, and it, it, it kind of mirrors um, our understanding of development. Middle grades focuses more on family and friends. Most of the time, a lot of the time, it's going to be a third person narrator, so removed describing 
and it's going to be like how are you loyal to your friends how do you make sense of your messy family where YA is going to be more how am I a person in the world it'll be a first person narrator and it's more feels like teenager to teenager where middle grade still feels like an adult is narrating the story not the case with uncle but I, I that's often a differentiation between the market I'm curious about you personally of what it is like for you to read middle grade versus young adult. And I am maybe asking you to even dig in a little bit further about what it is that got you to say that Alan Cole is such this standout book in your mind. Is that a fair question? It's a great question. Alan Cole is such a standout book in my mind because it it speaks so deeply to my identity, middle child questions that I still carry of feeling like the black sheep about it's a book about black sheep finding one another and realizing that like not only is being a black sheep difficult but like it's better it's beautiful there are so many good questions that I'm, 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 I'm spinning back go for it don't I, I don't want you to feel like you need to be like super like on point because I think beautiful things are coming out so I want to encourage you to just let them come out that's that's very kind the difference between reading I've I've not considered that and my brain like exploded middle grades is so oh it's just like lemonade like it's so good I can read one in a day and I like have made sense of something that's hard right and as I, I think about Alan Cole all the time because, like, I have bullies. I deal with, like, walking into a lunchroom and not knowing where to sit. I deal with these secret dreams that I don't I know what to do with them, right? I deal with messy family and, it, 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 as I've said before, it gives me a way through. It's like, oh, I'm not alone in this and there is work to be done and there are things that I can do and achieve and ways I can grow. YA is more like a movie for me. No, that's a good distinction. Middle grades feels like I'm reading my journal. <laughs> YA feels like I'm watching a really good TV show. Middle grades feels really personal to me as I'm thinking about it. Middle grades really, and it's probably why I'm a middle school teacher, um, but it feels really intimate. YA is fun. I like love YA, but a lot of times I read YA and I'm like, oh, I don't know it was great. It was fun. It was interesting. I like loved it. Um, it's rare that I find a YA book that I really connect with. Maybe it's because I don't read as many middle grade and I'm really choosy about what middle grades, but the middle grade books I read, I really love. I think that's beautiful. And it takes me to a place of considering a fact I just came across that I was ignorant of and am still learning about. And that being the first Harry Potter book being considered middle grade while somewhere along the way when Harry turns 13, 14, 15, then the Harry Potter series becomes young adult fiction. And I was interested too to learn about kind of the scientific ways of delineating between the two, one being word count. So you take the first Harry Potter book, which I believe is like 70,000, 80,000 words, and then you take the last Harry Potter book uh, being over 200,000 
The fifth. The fifth is often used as the delineation of the full turn. Arguably the fourth, but definitely the fifth. And now I'm kind of forgetting where I was headed with that. Oh, I'm sorry. You were talking about the delineation, like the the, the the research behind the delineation between the two. And you're talking about word count? <laughs> look at your notes. So I'm going to look back at my notes. And I guess I'm going to... I I think I was just going to Harry Potter. And I, I think I was kind of leaving Alan Cole unless you want to go back there and that door is open the whole time. But I think I was transitioning to Harry Potter with the intention of using it as this sort of paragon of both middle grade and YA as it relates to our attempt to kind of understand what each of, each of them are. And I'm wondering what you think of that um, as it relates to what you just kind of described, your experience of reading a middle grade versus your experience of reading a YA. Is that making sense? That That is where I wanted to go. I, I, I made it there. I wanted to see about like how you felt about that distinction as it exists within Harry Potter itself, that being the first middle grades, the last YA. I, I completely hear it and see why, right? The Sorcerer's Stone's 11-year-old Harry, he's learning who he is, he's learning about his family, he's making his first friends. It's definitely a middle grades book. I feel the need to point out that that was kind of the beginning of the middle grade market. So if the YA market began with The Outsiders by S.E. Hinton, 1967, Harry Potter was the beginning of the middle grades. So I don't like it in that fact because it was the first, right, um, marketed as such. I would make the argument that like Tuck Everlasting, which was like 1975, is a better middle grades paradigm because I don't, I don't feel... Uh, in the first Harry Potter the way I do reading Alan Cole or Tuck Everlasting. It it feels a little too picture book still, right? It, it's still leaning on children's literature, which feels very picture booky, very crisp and clean. And middle grades has become a lot messier and YA's bled into it more. And so I think I like modern day middle grades better. But yeah, I think it's a great way to look at the, and, and it does, right? The books grow up alongside Harry. It's a great way to look at what happens to youth as they grow up and their interest. And I think it's very well reflected within the Harry Potter books. This may be a pivot. And so if it's too great of a pivot, we can look down this road and say, we'll come back down this road another day or say, maybe we don't need to go down that road at all. (laughs) Um, I guess this brought to the fore for me, something that I wonder if we should call it a superpower that teachers cultivate. And the way I'm going to set this up is say that one of my biggest fears in entering the teaching profession was my fear that I would not be able to extract um, content for my students that was appropriate to their level, age-wise, intellectually, their overall capacity to to digest information. And that seemed like such a mystery to me. I was like, how do you do that? I am equally as fascinated with the fact that after about 10 years in teaching, as, as it relates to high school students, I can 
pretty accurately like read something myself and say like oh sophomores will love that and I'm wondering how you experience that with middle grade YA and I'm also wondering if you know anything more about like the historical part of this of like how middle grades and YA came to be and how that designation came to be and why it came to be I may be saying too many words to get you to say things that I would be interested to hear but I think it takes me to this place of like before these capitalistic designations came to be in some ways, I, I might call them capitalistic in some ways, it was teachers that were just deciding, right? Like if you were a sixth grade teacher in 1967, you would have said like, my sixth graders will love this book, The Outsiders, or not. And I don't know. I, I'm wondering if that brings anything to your mind. So many things. So, so many things. I think I'll start with what I was telling you the other day that I'm tutoring a student that was in my sixth grade class last year and he just started the crossover by Kwame Alexander and I was like oh do you remember we like listened to podcasts with Kwame Alexander who's this incredible writer and he was like no but I remember when we read the Roald Dahl thing about him getting spanked and I was like what and he's not the first and I, I, I've realized since that Roald Dahl excerpt of boy describing an episode of getting spanked is like what sixth graders remember like give them pure poetry actual poetry and it's gone but the spanking they're in um so i'm learning a lot Uh, and i think that's such an interesting question because i carry that fear too what is your experience i'll keep thinking about i've got more to say but i also want to hear more about you like what what was your experience of of learning about that I, it felt impossible to me when I started like planning my very first lessons. It, it felt like I have no idea in the world, on this planet, in this universe, under the sun, how to pick out something that a 17-year-old young woman is going to find interesting or compelling or worthwhile. And it somehow happens along the way that you learn it. And... I'm not perfect every time. Sometimes I completely whiff because my nerdy geekiness sometimes just makes me completely miss it. But I also at the same time can kind of subconsciously know that when I'm geeking out for my own interest that that's what's happening. Um, Because sometimes the geeking out also works. Like that can also be endearing and win them over too. Indeed. And so that's an interesting part of it, I guess, especially as it relates to like what sort of content you bring in your classroom, because you can kind of start to tell what your role in it is going to be, like how much you're going to have to push or step away or at what point you're going to have to step in and how that becomes kind of subtle. And so I, I'm wondering when you're picking up a middle grades book versus a YA book, what your brain is doing. Or if that's a boring question, we can like kind of head back in another direction. No, I think it's I, I think it's a great question. Um, I interestingly think I am getting better at picking books that they find interesting, but for absolutely different reasons. So I taught a book this year called House Without Mirrors, which I think is I mean it made me cry. I think it's beautiful. I think it says a lot about accepting who you are, much like Alan Cole. I picked it for the poetry and the beauty of it and what it said about people and humanity and growing and changing and death. 
My kids loved it because they thought it was scary. <laughs> they were like, ooh, it's like a ghost house. They go into this closet and who knows, maybe they're dying. <laughs> it's like, what? No, it's they're changing as people. They're realizing the thing they fear about themselves is the best part of them. And they're like, no, 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 no. It's a ghost. It's killing them, Miss Nelson. And I was like, and they like had theories about lesbian subplots and I was just like, but they loved it, I think. That's an interesting point because I'm often, often struck and enjoy so much that moment when they point something out to me that I didn't know was there at all. That's, that's a thrilling moment. Yeah, entirely. I think Alan Cole is a book that we, I, the students I've had read it. I've never read a whole class, but the, the young people I know who've read it enjoy it for similar reasons as I do. It's just such a, an affirming book uh, to get back, not to like keep going back to it, but there's so much to be said about it. I love the complexity of it. It's a really, really complex story of Alan Cole is an artist and he is struggling with how to come out and he doesn't have friends and he has this terrifying older brother and he doesn't know how to swim and he has this teacher that like gives him hope. And he has this smart girl that like kind of bullies them and you know and it, it's there's so many things happening and it, it I don't feel like I can say like oh it's a coming out novel oh it's a novel about abuse oh it's it's about a person they're all so realistically imagined and they're such full people that it, it you know we talked to our uh, executive producer Nick Goen a lot <laughs> and I've shared conversation with him talking about how the, the coming out narrative is so tried and true in movies and TVs and books and it's often someone tries to come out and their parents reject them and Alan Cole is a coming out book but it's not and it's just one piece of the narrative and so that makes it feel fresh. It, I've not read in a story about a boy with an abusive father and abusive brother that feels fresh if I can use that word of something so painful and traumatic. Where did that come from? of why um, I read why middle grade books and what people think of them is I think I think the the students I know that are younger that have read it agree and feel that too they don't know how to say it yet maybe but they they enjoy the it feels like a real story it feels like you're talking to your friend like the humor and the, the conversational tone is so well done that you feel like you're getting to know people in your school I have a question about the role that middle grades play middle grade books play then for adults. And I am going to acknowledge our both of our mutual frustration with the construct of adult and construct of young person and even whatever else. But so like for the sake of safety and the sake of conversation, I think I would say I guess I'm considering someone over the age of like 25 um, picking up a middle grades book. And my question I think I want to put out is like, what do you think about that? Or what is it that maybe keeps us from allowing something like a middle grade book to be part of our adult life? Or how should we be relating to middle grade books as adults? And before you answer that, I want to mention an article that I believe we both read by Constance Grady, who writes for Vox. And she mentioned nostalgia as being that which makes Harry Potter so compelling in that 
it is, it is something about reading about someone going through experiences that we went through in some way, shape, or form, or at least we can find a character that we can identify with along the way that, you know, compels us in some certain way. I want to push back against, I want to acknowledge that and like shake my head along with that, but also push back maybe a little bit and say, I think there might be more to it than just nostalgia. And I say that because as you talk about Alan Cole, I don't hear nostalgia. I hear you talking about Alan Cole like you would talk about War and Peace uh, or some of the, of Charles Dickens, of some of the greatest writers of all time. I hate that I just mentioned two white Europeans. <laughs> I knew it as it was both were coming out of my mouth and I was like, God dang it. <laughs> Hopefully my point is made without being too much of a white male point. You're make you're making the exact. It's a perfect point, right? Like that's that's the question. That's the conversation. Is we compare it to Charles Dickens, who is great and is right. I say that because Charles. I picked up Charles Dickens yesterday as I, I thought about reading it. So it was so close to my mind, and I knew that Leo Tolstoy lives just behind McKay's left shoulder right now, and that's where my eyes were. You're doing too much work. Just let it be. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I think it's it's perfectly to it's perfectly okay to invoke those that book and that writer in this conversation. No, it's not nostalgia. As you said that I wanted to interrupt you and be like, no, 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 no. Um, I think we do a disservice to the books, to the writers, to the people who are reading them to treat them as such. Yeah, of course, right? We read Looking for Alaska. And we feel a sense of like, oh, remember what it felt like to be 16 and reckless and just like trying to sneak off. And yeah, I do think, I think YA has more nostalgia than middle grades. I've not read a middle grades book and felt nostalgic because who feels nostalgic for middle school? <laughs> Show me that, psycho. Hey, man. <laughs> None of us want to relive middle school. Um. I think I think nostalgia is more true for YA for me um, that I read things and I'm like, oh, remember your first love when you like learn how to kiss and the excitement and oh, though YA also carries way bigger lessons than that for me. But middle grades definitely is not about nostalgia for me. Alan Cole feels immediate to my life. I, not to like be emphatic about it, but it, it feels very immediate to my life and it it feels like a form of therapy. Can I say that? Absolutely. Of like, I feel like a therapist is walking through my greatest fears of like, okay, well, what if you do have to learn how to swim and you get tricked into having a terrible coach who's actually kind of trying to drown you and you sneak off and secretly learn how to swim? And I'm like, oh, I, I can do that? And my therapist is like, yeah, you can do that is what middle grades often does is like it it shows me like you don't have to sit and wallow you can you can be inventive and you can I mean one of my other favorite middle grades book is called the first rule of punk and it's about a Mexican-American girl who moves out of Chicago or into Chicago with her mom and it's about her wrestling with her culture and really just being drawn to punk culture and I love it because she's she's looking at systems of authority who are saying don't do this to your hair don't make these zines don't start this punk band like that's not what a good american girl 
good Mexican-American girl does. And she, she, she's raging against the machine and it, it doesn't feel nostalgic. It feels like I'm learning something, right? We talked last time about how stories can be teachers. Middle grades feel like some of the best teachers I've had of recent. That's wonderful. And I'm thinking about how fun it would be to, um, as a writer, play around in the space of punk and middle grade. Like how many, how many doors that opens up? There are actual like pages from the zines she's making. Is that the word? I don't know. It's it's it was this thing very popular in the eighties and the nineties. They're called zines and they're used in like punk culture and feminist culture and they're handmade magazines and they're like collaged and cartoons and writing and within the book themselves there are countless of this girls zines. That sounds amazing. <laughs> So what I, I, I'm, I guess to maybe build on that a little bit, my question would be, what is the message then to someone over 25 years of age as insofar as it relates to what middle grades could be for them? You're not as punk as you think you are. You're not as good at life as you think you are, right? I, I, I'm a middle school teacher. I read middle grades. I'm a middle child. I feel so deeply that what happens in middle school is terrible and horrible and really hard, but we are always still going through it. I don't think we ever get the security and safety and distance from it that we believe we do. We pretend to, right? We, we have salaries, we have jobs, we have homes, we have quote unquote control, but we are all as without control as we are as a seventh grader facing down the lunchroom. And I think reading middle grades rips away that illusion and shows you like you are just as lost as you were when you're in seventh grade. You're still learning who your friends are and how to be loyal and what is your identity and how far do you go with it and what do you do with authority that tells you you're wrong and what do you do with your first crush and what do you do with these feelings that you don't know what to do with. So I think middle grades is the reminder of like you're not as wrapped up as you think you are and there's still a lot to learn in our life it has me wondering about something I've never thought about before and so I'm enjoying this kind of coming to my mind right now is because I'm going to speak in general terms because society has become more progressive in my lifetime from the age, so I'm using my age bracket, so I'm 36, and I'm thinking about where the world was socially when I was 11 and where it is now for our nephews and our niece and how different of a world it is. And I'm thinking about a middle grade book being written right now is going to be very, very, very different than the middle grade book that would have been written when I was 11 which means that the description of my middle school experience is very, very different now, and it's something new, and I'm thinking about the overall healing power of that. So to exploit in a good way the progressivism now to heal from and to learn about our experience as young people, as 11 and 12-year-olds. Yeah, I think that is fascinating. I'm racking my brain because I, I it is a disservice to all that I am that Judy Bloom, 
Have you read any Judy Bloom? I have not. So she was kind of the the middle grades kind of edging into YA, right? It's the book, Dear God, Are You There? It's Me, Margaret. Some configuration of that. Again, I apologize. I should know these things. They were about very intimate, personal girl experiences. And this gets into the question of how much is the middle grade of YA market, marketed towards girls. One thing that's very interesting is middle grades is, I would say, evenly divided. There's quote-unquote boy books and quote-unquote girl books where YA is more marketed towards girls. And I wonder what that has to do with what's happening as the as students, younger people grow up. But I, I think that's a really interesting point of, right, of now it's not like, oh, I got my period. I don't know how to feel about this. Now it's like, I'm a punk rock chick and I need to figure out how to be a punk rock chick in this world and say, screw you to authority, which is really modern <laughs> comparatively. Yeah, and how it gives voice to so many that were voiceless for so long. And I, I'm just thinking about, like, to the question, why should an adult read Alan Cole and of the many reasons that you articulated that I think are like entirely compelling I'm wondering if like we can also add on of like we're extend like what you've said into saying like there's a lot of beautiful healing and re-experiencing those things not just for nostalgia but for like real life reasons that are going to inspire us and continue to shape us and i wouldn't even say re-experiencing i've come across stories and situations in middle grades and why that i i don't personally know and i've never experienced and it's just astounding how it continues to like open up my world i love it I'm wondering where this leaves you. There was something I was going to say, but it's gone. Um, yeah, I, I love it. I, I would buy every person I ever loved and every person I've ever met a copy of Alan Cole is not a coward if I could. It was Eric Bell's first book, and you look at the pictures of him, he he's writing about his middle school experience and i wonder what our america would look like if every person read that book or writer or some equivalent of reading a book of an experience that they were always taught to look down on and seeing it from the inside so i think it's all just a lesson in empathy and what it can mean for those that fit the mold so fully and were ignorant of the voices that they were bypassing just by being themselves and doing what they were told and how powerful that can be for kind of finding an impetus for change not just in individuals but kind of at a collective level and so Let's read some freaking middle grade. And let me say that I think that's the rise of this modern new middle grades is people beginning to see their own stories of right of like how healing this would feel to a seventh grade boy who is going through what Alan Cole is to look at a story. I would have felt that way. I would have felt affirmed by seeing Alan Cole. Not that I came from an abusive family, but the sense of um, disconnect and loneliness and questioning I would have definitely been like, there are other people who feel what I'm feeling. So not even to say that the emotional experience of being seen, but 
the physical circumstances of your life being reflected in a book. I think it's why our youth are only getting more and more radical because they're like, look at my story, hear my story, there's my story, and I love it. They are very radical, and it's beautiful. It makes me think that we need a we need two things. We need a Hall of Fame, and we need another name for that space because I don't like the phrase Hall of Fame, but a place where we put some of these people that we admire so deeply. So like Eric Bell. Eric Bell. John Green. Jason Reynolds. Jason Reynolds. And there's going to be others added to that list. So I, I don't, we need to think of a name for this space, maybe. Or maybe not. I don't know. I just had the thought of like how much we admire some of these people that take us into these spaces. Pretty much anybody I'm going to talk about on here, I'm going to admire really deeply. <laughs> so maybe the podcast itself is what I'm describing. Yeah, it's like, we love you. We admire you. You're incredible. Thank you for creating what you create. I wonder if it would be useful to talk about something we don't like. Like something that's been published that we're like, no. You don't have to mention it right now. I'll ponder on that. We will ponder that. Spoiler, it will not be Twilight because I love Twilight. I need to read it. Yeah, you do. I'm going to read it. Maybe that could be like kind of a fun series to do or something. <gasps> of reading Twilight? It's something we could do with our listeners too. We could do like a Twilight book club. No, most people are going to hate it, though. <laughs> I'm not that sold on it. There's also probably 474 million Twilight book clubs on the internet. The only one that I would do a, a book club on is she recently rewrote it where she flopped all the swapped all the genders. That would be interesting, but... Oh, that would be cool. We should do that. I think I'm good there. Do you have other things you want to mention before... We kind of call it wraps on this one. The only other thing I want to mention is, and Alan Cole is not a coward. His dad calls him a goldfish, and Nathan picks that up. So there's a beautiful image of a goldfish on the cover, and it just has this incredible symbol throughout of Alan being called a goldfish, being treated like a goldfish, which is kept as a pet in the background. And I think that's a really good answer of why I love middle grades of haven't we all felt like a goldfish um, and learned to transform our, ourselves through that. Or maybe to become. Right. Was that pretty basic? No, I loved it. <laughs> it was a very emphatic become. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of Great Perhaps. If you have any thoughts or queries or questions or ideas of where we should go next, we are absolutely wide open. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Shout out, for real, to our executive producer, Nick Gowen, who has made much of this conversation possible. We're happy you joined. Bye, McKay. Thanks for listening. Bye. We're back for our second sign off because I blew the first one. Thanks for listening. Bye. <laughs>